They're going to flip to like legalism and like right and wrong and doing the good stuff and not doing the bad stuff. That's immediately where our minds go, right? Um, so I'm going to build this framework of three verses that I think really reveal the, the nature and the character of who God is, which I think will help us to understand Ephesians 4 better. So I need someone to look up Psalm 111, verse 7. I want to hear these verses off of the lips of the people. So Psalm 111, verse 7, okay? And I, I need someone to find that in their Bible, come up here and read it for me, okay? I've got a mic right here. Who's going to be? Amy's our volunteer. Good job, Amy. Alrighty, now, the next verse is Isaiah 64, verse 8. So who wants to find that in their Bible? Come up here and read that verse for us. Isaiah 64, verse 8. need a volunteer, and I will wait, so I need a volunteer. Niles, awesome. My, my, my family's doing this for me. They're backing me up, so. It's my brother-in-law, it's my sister, so. And then the last one is Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. Who has a Bible that wants to come up here and read this verse for us? Ephesians 2, verse 10. Lindsay, my, my cousin, come on up here. Here we go. We're going to keep doing this. You're going to get more used to it, right? Okay, so I'm going to give you the mic first. Amy. So Amy's going to read Psalm 111, verse 7. Okay, read that verse for us, Amy. The words of his hands are faithful and just. Read that one more time for us. What does that tell us about God? He's just. He's caring. He's fair. Does Psalm 111 mean that we can trust God? Alrighty. Now, Niles. Isaiah 64 8. One more time for us. Awesome. That's a great translation. Thank you, man. Okay, so, so God is trustworthy. We can trust him, right? And what, what does Isaiah 64 verse 8 say about us? About we are the clay, he is the potter. What, what, is that, what does that tell us about God? He's in control. What else? He molds us. What else? Okay, so God is good. God is trustworthy and God wants to mold us. And then Lindsay, Ephesians 2 verse 10 One more time. That sounds really good. Yeah. For we are his workmanship, Thank you, Lindsay. What does that verse tell us about God? He created us. Why did God create us? For good works. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. When you look at the Bible, what you see is something that in our human nature I think is a little bit scary because what the Bible tells us is that God is trustworthy, that God wants to mold your life into something, and ultimately he wants to mold your life into something that is beautiful. And I don't know if you know this or not, but God wants to use you, and I don't mean, I mean, yes, as the church, but you as an individual person, God wants to use you to display his love and his beauty in this world. God doesn't just love the world, God loves the world through people. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, 
And we begin trying to find the life that fits. Because there's a million ways you can live your life, right? There's a million things you can do. There's a million worldviews and moralities and paths and different things you can, you can do. And when we, when we begin looking for the life that fits, the question is this. Will we let God mold us into the person that he wants us to be? And when we read Ephesians 4 this morning, the temptation is to read Paul talking about how you must no longer live in the old self and live in the new self. And we think, well, I just can't sin. And we, we begin to kind of deduce everything just to morality, right? We take everything in the Bible and we say, okay, so what should I not do? And we make it about morality when in, in reality, what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to mold you this morning. God wants to love this world through you and through me. And the way that he does this is by molding us into something beautiful. And as God begins to mold our lives and shape us, what that means is that certain things don't fit with God's plan for our life. Certain things fit and are beautiful, but certain things do not fit. And what I want to offer you this morning is a life that fits a life that fits the deepest desires of your heart. Because the irony of the Christian faith is that everything that God asks us to do is ultimately for our good. Everything that God calls you to do, every, every rule, every regulation that God gives is ultimately for our good. And this morning, I want you to be open it's going to get a little bit scary, okay? It's going to get a little bit uncomfortable, but in a, in a sanctified, beautiful kind of way. But with that framework in mind, that God wants to use you to do good in this world, how he wants to mold you into something that he shows his beauty through, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. With that framework, let's read these words that Paul writes to the church. Stand with me at this time as we read God's word together. is going to sound very countercultural, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable with our preferences, but I want us to read this and to be open to whatever God wants to do in us. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. You may be seated at this time. Alrighty. Before we begin to try and rationalize this text, and, and before we begin to try and, and, and maybe dumb it down a little bit, will you give me a second to dream with you? Like, that, that maybe this is really the way that we are supposed to live. Before we try to say, well, this is kind of impossible and I don't think we could ever do it, and we, we start um, kind of uh, inclining ourselves to our sinful depravity to say that, well, this is just impossible. Because I think sometimes the, the commands of God seem a little bit impossible in our lives. Am I right? Have you ever read the Bible and been like, I can't do that? You ever had that experience? Like, there's, there's no way. Like, there's no way I could really keep all of these commands. But the first thing that Paul says is that the new self, which he talks about, is a radical change where we give God total control of our existence. The new self that Paul talks about is not like a smoothie of like your old life and your new life blended together, right? It's not throwing in a little bit of Jesus into who you are and and mixing it up and and saying, this is what I want. The, The new self is something completely different, and it's a radical change from your former way of life. And I love this because Paul says, um, now I say this, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He tells the church in Ephesus, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But it's kind of ironic because he's writing to Gentiles, right? He's writing to Gentiles saying, you must no longer be like Gentiles, That would be like Paul writing to us and being like, you must no longer be like Houstonians. That's like God, that's like him writing to me and saying, John, you must no longer be a Houstonian who's a white middle class male. You can't be like that anymore. And and the new self that, that Paul talks about is a complete transformation. It's something completely different. And this is tough because we oftentimes, what we try to do is we try to follow Christ while, while holding on to our former ways of life. We try to follow Christ, but still kind of make our name known in the world. We try to follow Christ, but still kind of keep those vices behind closed doors that, that nobody really knows about. We, we try to follow Jesus, but we, we've got those things that we really, really enjoy that we can't seem to, to put away. And Paul says that when you become a Christian, everything in your life has to change. In Isaiah 64, as Niles read, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. You see, a life that fits is a life that gives God complete control. And this is scary, because... A radical faith requires, I think, a radical life. Like, we, we realize, don't we, that, that we serve a, a risen Savior. Like, he was dead, and he was raised to life. 
right? He saw people who were sick and he, and he, and he touched them and they were made well. He, he, we serve a God that like parted an ocean, right? We serve a God who created the world by speaking it into existence. And then I think we try to normalize our faith to fit our American context. And Evan and I were having this conversation. For those of you who don't know, Evan Horn is, a, is an intern here at the church. He laid music this morning for us. And we had this conversation about a week and a half ago. And it's one of those conversations that give you goosebumps. Like literally the Holy Spirit fell in the conversation. We're talking and we begin having this conversation about like, is there a chance that maybe we're missing something? Like, like we were even talking in our own lives. Like, I mean, if I, if I really believed this stuff, like, like how would my life look different? And it's funny because I've been having these conversations with, with, with each one of you, even my wife and I, we have these conversations. And, and after last night, we, we had a bunch of church activities this week and we got home last night and we're sitting in the car. And my wife is like, so if we really believe the stuff that we say we, we believe, does our life really reflect that? Do we really believe that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do? Do we really believe that we must put away all slander and malice and gossip? Do we, do we really believe these things? And I think what we do is we, we try to find the aspects of faith that kind of fit us, and we, we're afraid to do things like fasting. And so, I know I shouldn't tell you this, but I can't tell you it without explaining the story. Um, I fasted for the first time last week. A 24—and I, mean, and I, I love food, right? Um, th- this— I've never fasted for more than one meal. And I went 24 hours without food. And that's one of those things that I would have looked back and said, that's kind of weird. And it's kind of, you know, we don't, really have, we don't, we don't need to do that, right? I mean, that, that's not really a part of it today, right? I mean, this is 2014. We live in America. There's a McDonald's in every corner. You know, I cannot be expected to fast ever, right? And as I fasted that day from food, I, I cannot tell you how much more my heart was inclined to God. And I cannot tell you how I saw God working all around me in ways that I'd never seen before. I lived my whole life like just, just walking around and keeping rules, and it was fun, but it was like literally God is, is, is working all around you. Like in this room right now, if you are open to God working through the preaching of his word, he is going to mold you. He is, he is literally here, and he's literally doing something in this room right now. And we begin to open our eyes to what God is doing in the heavens and in the earth. And it just becomes so special to realize that we are actually a part of that. And, and the new self is a self that it gives God complete control. And this is, kinda, this is an illustration that I've been using, and I think it works really well. Um, a lot of you use email, right? And you've got your email inbox, and that's where all your emails go to. I get about 50 million emails every single day, right? Um, a lot of them come from you, and, and they're all very nice and encouraging, and, and I really enjoy them. And they, no, I'm, I'm not joking. They really are. Um, you guys are very, very, very encouraging. But there's this feature in email. It's called bulk mail, right? You ever heard of bulk mail? And what bulk mail is in your email is like whenever a message comes into your email inbox and it, and it knows you probably don't want to read it or it's just spam or it's not really meant for you, that email doesn't even go to your inbox. It goes directly into your bulk mail. You don't even open it. You don't even look at it because it, it's not really for you. And sometimes I wonder... If that's how we approach our relationship with God, we're like, if he ever calls us to do anything totally abandoned, totally radical, like if God ever called me to really sell my car, that would just go to my bulk email, right? And I wouldn't even open it. Because there's no way that God would ever call me to do something like that. 
and I began to think, how many, how many things has God called me to do in my life? I didn't even open the email. And I think the reason why we struggle with this is because we, we try to follow Jesus while holding on to everything that we've ever had. We try to follow Jesus, and we try to, to follow him, but also kind of keep all of the, the, the sins in our lives. And then we, we, we get discouraged because it's, it's, it's tough, and, and we begin to doubt if God can really forgive us and really heal us of these sins that we've struggled with for so long. And we just forget that God wants to do so much through our lives. We forget that the new self, Paul says, is something that's completely different. It has nothing to do with sensuality and greediness and impurities, Paul says. It has has nothing to do with those things. And this morning, what I want to ask you is, what is the God of the universe who parted the Red Sea, who raised Jesus the Son from death, what is he calling you to do? What does he want to do in your life? You see, Paul is writing this letter to Christians. It's kind of odd, right? It's not like a bunch of heathens. He's writing to Christians, telling Christians to put off the old self and to put on the new. It is possible to go to church your entire life and to be living in the old self and not completely letting God control your life. Then he says in verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says that we are to wear a life that fits the holiness of God. You see, imagine your soul being your body, and, and, and your life and the deeds, the things you do, are what you clothe your soul with. What, what actions and what deeds do we, do we clothe ourselves with? I had a really big moment in my life this past week. I bought my first suit, right? My first, like, full, legit suit. Um, they tell me I'm a pastor now, so I got to do weddings and funerals, and I, I love doing it. And, uh, you know, I've got, like, suit jackets and slacks and things like that, you know, and I piece it together. But I thought, you know, I should buy a complete suit that's made to go together, right? Everyone's like, you really need to do this? And so um, I went and did this. I was actually um, part of a a wedding. Um, Actually, Lindsay and Keith, stand up for me. They got married a week ago, and they just got back from their honeymoon. So I had the the honor of of helping out their wedding, and so I I wanted to look the part. I wanted to look good. Uh, did I look good? I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, th- I think everybody looks the same in a suit, pretty much. But um, anyway, so I didn't know much about what it looked like to get a suit, okay? And so I went on to Facebook, which is what everybody does when they don't know how to do something. And I posted a status. I said, hey, I'm about to buy a full suit. I need some help. I need some input. Um, what do you think? And I thought maybe two people would give me a little pointers. I had like 40 comments, right? It's one of those things where you have like so much input that you really have no input because all the input starts like contradicting itself. And so it's pretty much like you shouldn't have asked anybody in the first place because you got too many opinions, right? And there was like a million different stores to go to. I ended up going to Macy's and got a really good deal. I highly recommend them, the one of Memorial City Mall, great company. Um, but uh, the one thing 
the one thing that was consistent amongst every single person that I talked to, the one thing that everyone said, look, if you're going to get a suit, you have to do this. If you don't do this one thing, don't even bother getting a suit. They said, look, you have to get the suit tailored. Tailored, can I get an amen? Amen. Tailored, 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 they said, right? Like location, location, location. Like if you get a suit, not only do you have to get a suit that fits you, but once you find a suit that fits you, you've got to go in and they've got to like specifically fit it for your body, right? And I'll tell you what, when you put on a suit that is perfectly fit for your body, it makes you never want to wear anything else for the rest of your life. I never want to wear basketball shorts ever again, okay? I never want to wear something that's too, too baggy on me. I, I don't ever want to wear something that doesn't fit because when you see yourself in a suit that is made for you, it's the most amazing thing ever. It looks good. It fits, right? And everybody is searching for a life that fits them. Everybody wants a life that, that fits them. Everybody wants to live a life that really reflects what God is doing in their heart. Everybody wants that life, but we get kind of tamed and we kind of to- are told that, it, you know, God's not really calling you to do anything crazy. Just kind of live a peaceful life and don't be a mean person and, you know, go to church on the weekends. And like, that's really the extent to which this miraculous supernatural God is calling you to do. But Paul says that we are to wear a life that is literally tailored to the holiness of God. I mean, it's like Jesus turns the world upside down. He does amazing things. He does miracles. He, he raises people from the dead. He preaches the greatest sermons anybody has ever heard preach in the entire existence of, of the world. Does all these things, right? And then we start to follow that guy. And then somehow nothing in our life changes. And Paul says that the way you learned Jesus was to live in the new self, meaning you're open to anything short of sin. Because we are now wearing lives that reflect the holiness of God. Yet God's doing a wonderful work in your life and you're growing and you're living in community and, and he's, he's blessing you and you're growing in the word and you're, you're praying and you're, you're loving people and you're becoming more humble and, and he's doing all these works in your life and it's so amazing. And then we wanna kind of like pull our former like lust into that. He's doing a wonderful work in your life and then, then you wanna try and pull pride and it doesn't really fit and we wonder why our life doesn't fit the, the, the way that our heart is created, why we wanna do something so amazing for God. We all wanna be a part of something. We all wanna have purpose and meaning. We all wanna do so many things and yet our sin is just keeps pulling us in and we feel like life doesn't fit us because what we're confessing with our heart doesn't match with the actions that we have. Something's off. I had a, uh, a near um, breakdown. <laughs> um, and I don't know if I've even told Keith this yet. Um, I, like I said, I, I had a chance to be a part of Keith and Lindsay's wedding. And um, I got to wear my brand new suit to it, right? So I was like super pumped. And got it pressed and fitted and was feeling good about it. And uh, we were getting ready. I had the honor of getting ready with the groomsmen back where they were getting ready. And so I'm putting on this suit, right? And I'm putting the suit on and feeling really good about it and pretty excited. And it's about maybe 15, 20 minutes before the wedding, right? 
And as I'm putting my suit on, I realize something tragic. I can't find my socks, right? I cannot find my socks anywhere. And I'm like, I'm like kind of, like kind of like walking, uh, you know, th- they can probably tell something's going on, you know, but I'm trying not to say anything because I don't want to be like, who's this clown, right? Can't even like remember his socks, you know? I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, right? I'm like, I'm supposed to be like have it all together and be like the, the pastor who's there and, you know, I, I totally know what's going on. I'm cool and comforted and everything. I can't find my socks anywhere. I go to my wife, I'm like, Halsey, go check in the car. I can't find my socks. She comes back. She's like, they're not there. I said, oh. I said, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And so I start getting desperate, like anybody would in that situation. I start getting real desperate. And I noticed that one of the groomsmen who's getting dressed, um, the, the guy from L.A., really nice guy. Um, uh, people from L.A. are so nice. Um, I see this guy getting ready, and I, I notice that he showed up in these, like, black socks that are kind of like casual socks that he just took off, and they're lying on the floor. And they look really, like, honestly kind of nasty and smelly, and they're just kind of laying there. But I'm desperate at this point, right? So I'm like, what, what, what do I do? You know, because I'm, 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 I'm the pastor, so I literally have to walk up the stairs in front of everybody, right? And I'm going to have this, like, awesome suit on me, and I'm going to have no socks on, right? That's going to be me. I'm going to be that guy. And forever their wedding will all be about that pastor that forgot his socks. I'm going to ruin the entire event, right? We might as well not even have the wedding anymore. So I'm getting desperate, and I go up to the guy. I said, hey, man. I know this is going to sound really weird, but uh, can, can I wear those socks? And they're just like laying on the floor. And, and, and he looks, like he's a really nice guy. He's trying not to seem weird about it, but he's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, of course, you know. He's like, you don't have socks. I'm like, no, man, I can't find them anywhere, you know. He's like, clown, you know. I'm just a rookie, rookie mistake, you know. And so I reach down to kind of grab the socks, and I hear the beautiful words that he says. He says, hey, wait a minute. I said, what? He said, I think I actually have a fresh pair in my bag. Because he's from L.A. He's basically living out of a suitcase, right? So he goes over to his bag. He's kind of grounding around. I'm like, please, God, please, God, please, God, please, God. And uh, he pulls out the most amazing, beautiful, glorious pair of formal black business socks I've ever seen in my entire life, right? I've never been so happy to see business socks ever in my entire life, right? And, and literally, I'm, I'm telling you, like, God was showing me something in this. Because when it comes to wearing a, a suit, one weird aspect of it can ruin the whole thing. You can have a really nice suit on, and yet if you show up somewhere with no shoes on, do people really notice your suit? Or are they just like, why do you have no shoes on? Why are you the pastor who doesn't have socks? What, what, is, what is wrong with you? And I think that's the image of sin in our lives when we're trying to follow the king of the world who's restoring everything back to God and doing amazing things and he's saving sinners and he's doing a wonderful work in this world and we get to be a part of it and he's changing lives and he's breaking chains and all these things and then we want to have an addiction to a substance or we want to pull in a lust that nobody knows about, or we want to be prideful. It just doesn't fit, and it kind of seems to taint everything. It's like occasionally you hear about a pastor who does a, has a wonderful ministry, and then he makes a mistake, and it just, let's be honest, it almost feels like it taints everything. And we know that God still blesses ministry, even if we make, we, we know he does, but we can't deny that when we begin to live in the old self, 
it kind of seems to take away. And in the original uh, Greek, the, the word new self is, is kainos anthropos. I still remember a little Greek from back in college. And, and if you were to translate that, it would have been, it would have meant completely new in nature or quality. Like completely new, completely different. It's a whole new substance because when the Holy Spirit fills you, it's the Holy, it's literally God inside of you and you're not inside of yourself anymore. It's a completely new thing, something that was not there before that has filled you. And it opens up your life to a wonder of endless possibility. God could use any one of you to do anything he wants. He's going to call some of you to foreign nations to give your entire life to minister to people that you might not even like. He, he called me to be a, a, a pastor. I thought pastors were weird growing up. I thought they were kind of weird guys. I'm just being completely honest. And I'm preaching a sermon right now in a beautiful church. And we are called to wear lives that reflect the holiness of God. And, and we need to let go of the old self. And then in verses 25 through 32, Paul just dreams. Like he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He says, be honest. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Is that even possible? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's like walking this out practically for us. He says, imagine you lived in a community that gave no opportunity to the devil. He said, and my favorite one is verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He said, find the guy that's stealing and make him the greatest provider in your church. Find the guy that's stealing, and he becomes the top tither in the church, right? Like, imagine that, right? Or, or, or the most generous person. It, 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 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And why, I'll be honest, this is why I love being here with you. This is why I love being the pastor of this church, because... You know, I know we're not perfect, but I don't feel like you guys talk about me. And I don't talk about, like, like, we have a beautiful relationship with this church. And so even as I'm reading this, I'm saying, look, I, I get what Paul is saying here. Like, how amazing could this look? What if the, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander were to be put away from you with malice? And what if we were kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us? close with a story. I saw a, um, a documentary this past week um, on Enron. Remember Enron? One of the biggest Wall Street scandals of all time. Um, whenever Enron was at its peak, Enron was, it was an energy company here in Houston, one of the biggest employers in the city, um, one of the top companies, uh, maybe one of the best companies Houston has ever housed. And it was based here in Houston, Texas. They traded energy. They were on Wall Street. Um, at the time of their peak, they were the sixth largest energy company in the world, and they were the seventh largest company in America, and they were based here in Houston, Texas. A big scandal emerged, and it turned out that they were $23 billion in debt. That's a lot of money to owe somebody, $23 billion 
And essentially what Enron did was they built an empire on lies. They, they had this, this uh, method where every time they made money or they got a loan or any money came in, they would count it as a profit, right? And they would tell the investors, hey, look, this is what's going on here. We're making all this money. It's great. Invest in our company. And anytime they incurred a loss, they would, they would write the books a certain way to where it wouldn't even show up. So it looked like it was this perfect company, and they never lost any money, though they lost tons of money. They looked like they never lost any money, and they were making all this money. And so what happens on the stock market is when it looks like your company's doing good, people want to invest in your company and give you money because they want to get stock out of your company. And so they looked like the greatest company ever, and it turns out that they were lying the whole time, putting up a false front, and eventually word got out, they got investigated, and they say that they stole some $74 billion over the tenure of the company. Several ended up in jail. One guy even took his own life. Jeff Skilling, who was one of the main guys in it, um, owes, owes $45 million dollars and is currently serving a 24-year prison sentence. And, and you read this story, and you think to yourself, it's just money. And all these things that we just want to hold on to so tightly, whether it's money or, or whether it's our reputation, it's just empty. It's just a substance. It's just this, this thing, and yet we want to give our entire selves to it. And what I want to challenge you with, and I know it can be scary at times, I want to challenge you to live in the new self that give Jesus, gives Jesus total control. What if we were a church that said, God, whatever you want to do, we're willing. What if as Christians we're like, God, whatever you want to use us for, Whatever it is, that commandment will not go to my bulk mail. I will open it. I will read it. I will open it. What if if we got to be a part of something that special? What if we really got to see God move powerfully in this church? What if it was a church where, like, where, where amazing things were happening because we were open to the possibility that God sometimes calls his people to do things that are completely contrary to the way we used to be? Give Jesus a chance to show you he's better than that sin. Give him a chance to show you that he's better than that addiction or that sin. Give him a chance to show you how amazing it is when God works through your life. Wear a life that fits. Wear a life that you will be proud of in your last days. I love you all. And what would it look like if you gave Jesus one year of your life and you said, whatever this Bible says, that's what I'm doing. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Father, we, we confess that what stands before us, God, is such an awesome opportunity. God, what stands before us is the opportunity to, to be a part of your work in history, in this city, God. 
And God, we just confess that, that we need the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us and to give us the power to do these things that we so de- desperately desire to do, but sometimes we feel too weak to do, God. But I pray, Lord, that we would just look at your cross and realize that it's not about doing more stuff, God. It's not about works. It's just about letting you have control. About taking our hands off of the the wheel and, and letting you take us wherever your glory decides we should go. God, I pray for the people of White Oak, for the, for the sins that, are, that people are struggling with. God, just show us that you're better. Show us that you're more. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and heal us. God, we've tasted sin and we've, we've seen time after time that there's nothing there, but we know in you is everything. And God, as we go on this journey, as we follow you, we just thank you that even if we make mistakes, even if we mess up, even if we blow it, there is nothing that can take us out of your hand. I love you, God. I ask all these things as thankful people in the name of Jesus. Amen.